California. We are live here in lovely, beautiful, cloudy Northeast Tennessee. Um, we recently missed what was supposed to be like a Category 4 horrible storm or something. Uh, so very thankful uh, that we're all still here and the internet appears to be working, which is a good thing. It was out in certain places because of the wind and the storm and all that fun stuff. Uh, but welcome to today's uh, live program with Face to Face with yours truly. And I'm looking over here and I see uh, my precious daughter. <clears throat> Lily is there. Mom's planting stuff. Well, tell her that we need to plant some seeds of God's truth in her mind. Um, I, I understand if she's out there mulching, that's all good. Uh, we've been working on this big construction project out there. there. We have a hill that goes down into our driveway. We've had so much rain lately um, that it's literally eroding the the hill onto our driveway. <laughs> so we built a wall and um, it's working. It's, it's like a, a good retaining wall made of stone. And we, we like looked at a bunch of YouTube videos. YouTube is great. You can learn how to do anything you need to do in life from YouTube apparently. Just watch a video, and so far the uh, the the dam is holding. It's holding back the hill, so I'm very thankful for that. All right, so today's program is going to be about um, justification and sanctification, so things I almost never talk about on this program. Um, I'm just being facetious, of course. I talk about those topics a lot because the need is so great, um, and there are not very uh, many folks doing that uh, these days, and so I feel the need to kind of uh, stand in the gap on this stuff. Um, but question 77, let me get this out of the, my new camera. My new camera is working, working pretty well. It looks like it's working, working nicely. Uh, question 77 of the larger catechism is one of the most important in the whole catechism. Now, there's a lot of questions that lead up to it, and uh, we, could look at, we, we may look back at a couple of these as well. But it's a great question because it spells out the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification and sanctification. Now, um, it's important to know that those two things always go together. Um, but it is absolutely essential to distinguish them. And uh, this is what's not being done uh, very well today. You have the what, what I would call the collapsing of categories. You have faith being folded into works, uh, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, faith and repentance being spoken of as if they're the same thing. They are most certainly not the same thing. And you have all this muddying of categories, justification and sanctification. They always, always, always go together, but it is essential to distinguish them because they differ in essential ways. So let's uh, walk through the, this question and answer. This is question 77 of the larger catechism. Asks the question, wherein do justification and sanctification differ? Answer. Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, yet they differ. In that God in justification imputes the righteousness of Christ. In sanctification, his spirit infuses grace and enables to the exercise thereof. In the former, in justification, sin is pardoned, legally, legally pardoned. In the other, in sanctification, sin is subdued. The one, justification, does equally free all believers from the revenging wrath of God, and that perfectly in this life, that they never fall into condemnation. Now, I would say there too, if you... 
If you don't get that part, that the justification that God brings into our life equally frees us from the avenging wrath of God and perfectly does that in this life, you're not going to get very far in the Christian life at all because you're constantly going to be struggling. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? Am I really right with God? So you've got to get that. In sanctification, that's neither equal in all nor in this life perfect in any. Okay, so justification, being freed from the wrath of God and being declared righteous um, before God, that is perfect in this life because it's a legal declaration about our status before the law that is based solely and entirely upon the righteousness and the work of Christ. Sanctification is not equal in everybody. In other words, some people are more sanctified than others. Some people are a lot more godly than others. And sanctification is never perfect in this life either. But we're always growing up towards perfection. We're always hopefully growing in our sanctification to become more and more like Christ. So let me kind of hash this out for you here. Okay. Um, Justification does not change us in any way, shape, or form subjectively. Justification is is a legal act on God's part wherein he pardons all of my sins, past, present, future sins, And accepts me as righteous in his sight, not for anything wrought in me or done by me, but only for the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is legally credited or imputed to my account. Just like uh, uh, income might be imputed into your bank account, it is exactly the same thing with the righteousness of Christ. Now, some people look at that and say, well, that just makes it sound like a cold business transaction. Well, what do you think happened at the cross? When we say Jesus died for our sins, it wasn't because our sins were morally infused into him or anything like that. He was legally treated as though he had committed all of our sins, although inwardly, inherently, he remains sinlessly perfect. It is exactly the same with us and our justification. We are inherently sinful. We are still inherently always falling short of the glory of God, but because Christ's righteousness is a real righteousness, and it is really imputed to our account by God acting as judge, by God the Father acting as judge, we are therefore declared once and for all eternity to be justified before God, to be declared righteous in the sight of God's law, so so much that um, condemnation can never be brought against us again. That's why Paul says uh, in Romans 8.33, who will bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies who is he that condemns. Okay, so that's a a critically important point. It's a legal declaration. Justification is a legal declaration. It only, only changes our legal status. So justification, God's act of justification, that one-time forensic judicial legal act does not change the sinner subjectively at all. It doesn't make them holy at all. It doesn't make them morally better. It only changes their status. Just as God's pronouncement of condemnation over Christ when he was cursed at the cross did not change him subjectively or inwardly either. But our sins were imputed to him. They were legally credited to him at the cross. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf, meaning he was he was reckoned as a sinner in our behalf, although he is still inherently intrinsically righteous. He was legally treated like he was a sinner, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God, that we would have that gift of righteousness given to us. 
Now, the line between justification and sanctification has to be kept distinct. There is a clear line between them. One, justification changes our legal status. The other, sanctification changes us, subjectively, personally. The one, justification, is identical in everybody. Uh, like the, the man that died on the cross next to Jesus, who repented in those last moments and put his faith in Christ in those last moments, he was just as justified as anybody else. Because you can't be more justified or less justified, like you might be more or less um, pregnant or something like that. It's, it's something, it's either on or off. It either is or it is not. We're either justified or we're condemned. There is no middle ground. that You can't be more justified. That was one very strange thing uh, about the Council of Trent, the Counter-Reformation Council of Trent. The Roman Catholic Church spoke of increasing our justification. It, it makes no sense. The, the term doesn't allow for that kind of description to be given to it. You can't grow and increase a legal verdict uh, any more than we can grow and increase condemnation. On the day of judgment, a person will either be justified or they will be condemned. And the apostles of Christ don't know of anything uh, other than that. And that's why Paul says there, let me read it to you again, let me get a little more context here. Uh, Romans eight thirty one. after describing the wonderful doctrine of God's uh, predestining grace, he those whom he chose beforehand and loved beforehand, whom he foreknew, he predestined. He, he destined their, their ultimate final destiny beforehand. And those whom he predestined he, to, to be conformed to the image of his son, he called and justified and glorified. <clears throat> and then he says, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Now think about that in the, the courtroom. Uh, people will bring charges against someone, meaning they, they want to uh, charge them with being guilty of sin. Now, are we, as, even as Christians, in our most sanctified moments as Christians, are we still guilty of sin? Yes. But who will bring a charge against God's elect in the forensic legal judicial sense in the sight of God who will bring a charge against us? No one can. Why? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, so I don't need to. I don't need to die in my sins and pay for them. Christ died for them. Christ, in a sense, died in my sins. He died with my sins upon him. That's why in John 8, 24, he says to his opponents there at the Feast of Tabernacles, if you do not believe that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. Well, I'm not going to die on my sins because my sins are gone. My sins were nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. That's justification. And so that changes our legal status and nothing else. And that's why we can have the utmost confidence that God truly does love us, that he will never leave or forsake us, and nothing can separate us from him. Because that justifying work, that justifying act that God did uh, based on the work of Christ is a perfect act. It is a perfect righteousness that we stand clothed in. And therefore, we can't be anything other than saved. It's impossible for us to be anything other than saved. Now, what about sanctification? Let's, let's look at this again here. Westminster Larger Catechism. Oh, I have to actually turn it into that mode. Okay. Um, the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, question 77 there. So, in... In justification, sin is pardoned, and the other, it is subdued. Now, what does that mean? 
in, when we're justified, our sins are pardoned. That means they are forgiven. And once a person has true faith in Christ, they are forgiven in the sight of God, legally and judicially, forever. Uh, no charge of sin can be brought against us, and no uh, charge of wrongdoing will ever be brought against us again in the sight of God because Christ died for us, because Jesus was not spared, as it says there. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. You know, if anything, I think not having assurance uh, is a sin. If you're a Christian, you ought to be assured. <laughs> you ought to make your calling and election sure. You should be assured that what Jesus did is enough, that what he did is enough to make us right with God and to pardon us of all of our sins and to do so perfectly in this life, that they never fall into condemnation. That's why Paul, after describing the incredible monumental struggle that we all have with sin in Romans 7, um, he brings up that wonderful um, uh, statement there in Romans 8.1. Um, what is it? Uh, I'm just drawing a blank all of a sudden. Um, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation meaning we can't be condemned for our sins because Jesus Christ, our sin bearer, was condemned for us. And so that's what justification is. Now, what does it mean when it says that in the other, in sanctification, sin is subdued? That's the personal struggle with sin right there. God begins the lifelong process of sanctifying us the moment we are converted, effectually called uh, united to Christ by faith alone and justified, declared righteous once for all. That's perfect. That's the same in everybody. Sanctification is the subduing of sin. It's the ongoing war with sin that we have. It is the fighting against sin. It is abounding more and more, uh, more and more in our personal holiness and in our godliness. And that's where we got to roll up our sleeves and we got to work and we got to study the Bible, and we have to fight against our sins, and we have to figure out, okay, well, what led to this this collapse into sin? What, what, led, what led me to make this dumb decision? All right, well, let's cut this off before. Let's get rid of these occasions of sin. Let's get rid of this stuff that's in the way that often trips me up. Let's, let's get radical here. Let's, let's pluck out and cut off whatever the occasions of sin might be. That's what it means when it says that in the other, in sanctification, sin is subdued. Okay, the one, justification, it equally frees all believers from the revenging wrath of God. The cross is what it is. My subjective level of holiness plays no role in that at all, thankfully. Thankfully. The cross does what it does. The person who repents and believes, they are equally freed. All of them are equally freed from the avenging wrath of God. And that perfectly in this life. And they can never be condemned. I know so many... Christians because they, they struggle with sin, like, like all of us do. Uh, maybe you go through a season of life. Maybe there's sin in your life that's been gone for years and years and years, and all of a sudden it reared its head, and, and you had a huge battle, and you lost. Well, well now what? I, I have good news for you. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but it was so bad, and it was so in God's face. There is no condemnation. So stop trying to save yourself. And just keep resting on his finished work. Even when you're at your very worst uh, as a Christian. Even when you go through the dark night of the soul. And you're wondering if you even are a Christian. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? That's a rhetorical question. Who, who can bring a charge? Who can charge me with committing my besetting sin? Let's say I live another 30 years. I'm sure I'm going to have some sinful days. Right, where I do some pretty sinful things sometime in the next few years. I'm sure at some point I'll have a really bad day or a really bad week and go through a, a, a time of testing and trial and we'll, we'll commit sin. Who will bring a charge against me for those sins? No one can. No one can. Because God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for me. And therefore no charge of sin will be brought against me. No charge of sin will stick because Jesus has already borne it all away. Now, that's justification. The revenging wrath of God has no place on me anymore. Once I'm in Christ, I am saved, I'm justified, I cannot be condemned. Now, <clears throat> in sanctification, that is not equal in all. Uh, there will be people that you meet who are a lot more holy than you, <laughs> who are a lot more holy than me. Uh, I know people who are who, who's... <laughs> sanctification level is something I, I, I envy. Um, they have a, abilities to, to be self-controlled and to be uh, gracious and kind that I don't have or, or I don't have yet. And I, I see that. I see there, there are people who are a lot more godly than I am in lots of different ways. And so sanctification is not equal in everybody because sanctification is the subjective side of what God does in the life of every person that he saves. And so it's not equal in everybody, and in this life is not perfect in any either. So you don't ever attain the goal, and the goal, is, of course, is sinless perfection. The goal is never to sin again. And that's not going to happen in this life. We're always going to be falling short, and we're always going to be struggling. Uh, we'll go through seasons of life that, that we're doing really well, and by the grace of God, he'll show us. Look at all the progress that, that I have made in your life. Uh, look at all the ways that sin has been mortified in your life. Look at all the ways that uh, you're now uh, more disciplined than you used to be. Look at all this. Look at all that I have done. And so sanctification is always growing. It's always mo it's a moving target. Justification is not like that. We don't grow and increase a verdict any more than the cross grows or increases. The cross is what it is, and justification is what it is. Once God has declared someone righteous in his sight and justified them, they cannot be condemned. They cannot ever be condemned. Okay, now real quick before I get into more of the details here, let me see who all is over here. Uh, if there's uh, the usual cast of folks here. Okay, there's some. Um, you need to hear and be baptized, love God, obey the word, and share the gospel. Uh, not to be justified, no. Justification is by faith alone. Um, we're, we're not justified by repentance. Uh, although every person uh, justified will be repentant, we're not justified by repentance. Uh, we're not justified by baptism either. And uh, love God, the imperative to love God is not good news. The, the imperative love God is the reason we need Christ, uh, because there's nobody uh, that does that perfectly. Nobody does. Nobody loves God perfectly. Okay, let's see who else is here. Uh, did they think that justification was the same thing as we do? Huh? No, no works of justification for salvation. The life salvation is essential with works uh, because you desire to please the Lord. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's right. We we um, we will desire to please God. That's why we, we want to be sanctified. We want to grow in grace. And we want to um, put sin to death and pursue holiness because uh, we have gratitude to God. We're, we're uh, thankful to the Lord for his salvation. Plus, 
God becomes beautiful to us. God becomes glorious to us. And praise to the Lord is beautiful to us. And there's a, there's a revulsion to sin. There's a revulsion to sin that, that is in the heart um, of, of all true believers. And yet, that principle of lawlessness is still there. So that we, we often do the things that we hate. We, we do the things that we hate. Um, let me find, uh, where is that in the, uh, let's see. Yeah, the, the, the regenerate part, the regenerate part uh, overcomes, let's see, um, in every part. Yeah, listen, in 13 point, uh, chapter 13 is on sanctification. It, it says, the sanct- this sanctification is throughout in the whole man. Okay, so there's no part of us that's not being sanctified once we're a believer, yet imperfect in this life. There abideth still some remnants of corruption in every part. So, no matter how sanctified someone might be in one particular area, let's say with, with regard to stewardship of money or something like that, no matter how uh, righteous we become in that area or sanctified, there's always there's still some corruption there still. No matter how chaste we become in terms of, of sexual purity, there's always some remnant of corruption that's going to be pulling at us to, to be unchaste again. No matter how much um, we are devoted to sound theology and doctrine um, and not taking the Lord's name in vain or keeping the Sabbath day holy or being content and not coveting, uh, never grumbling or complaining, we, we never do that perfectly. There's always some remnant of corruption that's still in us. Whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh, the sinful nature that we still have lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Galatians 5.17 says that. And then it says this, and I love this. This is the last paragraph on sanctification, 13.3 in the Westminster Confession. In which war, <laughs> by the way, um, justification is not a war. Justification is simply you rest upon the finished work of Christ, and that's all you do. It is receiving and resting. What? My justification is based entirely on the work of someone else. I simply rest upon it. I rely upon what Jesus did. That's justification. Sanctification is a battle. Sanctification is a war. Although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Okay, so if you're a Christian, you have peace with God, but that peace with God also marked the declaration of war on sin. Before you were a Christian, you were at peace with sin and at war with God. In justification, now we have peace with God. The war with God is over. Justification is not a war. It is the permanent cessation of hostilities between us and God. Because Christ has taken that hostility away when he was nailed to the cross. And we bear that sin no more. It can never be brought against us. No accusation can be brought against us. Sanctification is the war. You you are at peace with God. Praise his holy name through Christ alone. Faith alone and Christ alone. But now you're at war with sin. Now life gets real complicated. Now comes the the difficult part. Trying to live a godly life while you still have a sinful nature that's constantly pulling on you to be bad. That's constantly lying to you. And you have the enemy who's lying to you and telling you, oh, it's okay. It's not that bad. And, you know, so many people are so much worse than you. And 
So many people have done so many things that are so much worse than one little compromise. It's okay. Just have a second look at that or whatever. Our minds go through these gyrations and justifications of sin and blah, 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 blah. We go through this battle, this war, and the remaining corruption in us as Christian, it may prevail for a time. I always think of, of King David. I mean, we're not talking about a lapse into sin where he kind of, yeah, okay, you know, committed multiple homicides and managed to kill the husband of the, the lady I wanted, Bathsheba. I mean, this went on for months. Now, I, I want to ask, is David, is David still a regenerate believer during that? Yeah, he is. Well, so if he had died in them, would he have gone to heaven? Yes, he would have. Oh, that's terrible. How dare you say Folks, let me, let me put the dime on the table. If there's any hesitation at all in, in saying that, you don't understand the gospel then. Let me put it, let me have a better scenario for you. Okay, Johnny and Susie. Johnny and Susie are Christians. They are both born-again believers, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and in a moment of temptation and weakness, they make a really bad decision, and they are engaged in the act, in a car, by a cliff. And while they're in the act, one of them kicks the parking brake off, and the car goes over the cliff and smashes at the bottom in a giant ball of flame, and they are both instantly killed. Where do they go? Both of them went to heaven. And if you don't say that, you do not understand Christianity. You don't understand it then. I'm sorry. If there's any hesitation, if you had to sit back and well, where would they go? Then you don't understand how a person is saved or justified before God. Now, obviously, that's a very serious sin. That's a real serious sin. And something that no Christian person should ever do. Ever. But, to, write, to, to think that, well, if you're, if you're committing a real serious sin, and then you suddenly die while you're a Christian, then you're, you're, you're lost. Well, then you don't understand grace. You don't understand what the legal basis of our salvation is. And I know what this sounds like. People hear this and they think, that just sounds like a a license to do whatever you want. But you see, no true Christian is ever going to see the grace of God as a license to sin. And that's what the neonomians of our time, like John Piper and, and many, many, many others, do not understand. They think that if we say we're justified by faith alone... Not by our works. That are, There is no such doctrine as final salvation by works. They, they think, if we say that, that we're telling people, you can live like the devil and still go to heaven. And of course, we're not saying that. God changes our hearts. He changes those desires. He changes the entire outlook on life that we have. He changes our master from sin to himself. And so, always remember... Justification is a legal act. Christ has won that war. Justification is not a war. It's not something we have to fight for. We simply receive it and rest upon it. We rest upon the finished work of Christ. That verdict is applied to us once and for all eternity. It can never be undone. Sanctification is a war. Sanctification is going to exhaust you for the rest of your natural life in this world as a Christian. Because now you, you're you at war with the sin that you still see in your heart. And it's a war that goes on every single day. 
And sometimes you feel stronger and some days you, you feel weak and you're, you're beat up by life and you haven't slept well in days and you feel like all your defenses are down and how can God possibly still love me and I need help and I need Christian friends and I need to pray and I, I, I've got to get my stuff together and Lord, how can I be like this? And then other times it's like, I feel like my sins are the farthest thing from me. Uh, in my mind, there's no way I'm going to commit any of them. And I, I'm feeling strong and I'm going to be a, an example and a testimony and work hard and be disciplined. You know, we vacillate. We, we go through those seasons. But God doesn't do that. And justification doesn't do that. Justification is a legal act of God. A legal act of God. And it is equally. And everyone that has it, and it, it frees us all from the avenging wrath of God equally and perfectly. Okay, now I'm going to read a few more questions here from the larger catechism. Let me see who else is over here. Uh, Cafe Queen, hello from Ohio. Ohio, my old stopping gr- stomping ground. Even though my allergies are getting me right now, just a little bit. I lived in Cincinnati most of my life. Cincinnati is the mold, ragweed capital of the solar system. It's like one of the worst places you could live if you have ragweed or pollen allergies. And I had those when I was a kid. And it was weird. When we lived in Mississippi, I didn't have allergies. When we lived in Akron, Ohio, I didn't have allergies. I have them a little bit here because there's a lot of pollen where I live in, in northeast Tennessee. Uh, but greetings from uh, to Ohio there. O.V. Dietrich. Sanctification happens by the grace of God. Amen. The Roman Catholics, when they said you could be more justified, yeah. They they thought that justification... Lily, what, what the Roman Catholic Church said at the Council of Trent, they said justification is sanctification. That they're the same thing. That that's just really what they what they essentially did away with was justification. They simply define justification as sanctification. Justification is sanctification, of course, but it's not. That's why our catechism here, following scripture, is pointing out those are two different things. One is an act, a legal act of God. The other is a progressive, ongoing work. One changes our legal status, not us personally. The other, sanctification, changes us personally. Does that make sense? So justification doesn't change me. It does not change me. It only changes my legal status, my legal standing. Sanctification is what changes me. That's the war. That's the battle. That's the fight. And thankfully, our justification does not depend on our sanctification. Because if it did, ain't nobody going to heaven. No one. Because God requires a perfect righteousness. Okay, there's Rob Gibbs. Yeah, he's always complaining he's, he's not here. <laughs> he's here! He's here for a live program. Alright, that's good. As much as the flesh is at war with us and is a monster, I think of Ephesians and being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Yeah. Oh, what a glory that will be to realize that and this flesh ends. Yep. Amen. All to God's glory. It's all by God's grace. By faith we are imputed the righteousness of Christ. Amen. 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 Okay, Pastor, who are the best theologians of today, in your opinion? Hmm, wow. You, you mean living theologians? <laughs> uh, I really like um, Joel Beakey. Oh, gosh, I, I, could, I could name a lot of dead people um, that you can get their books. Uh, Robert Raymond's Systematic Theology is, um, has no equal, um, in my opinion. It's just one of the best ones ever written. Uh, Louis Burkhoff, uh, his systematic theology, of course, these are, they're both dead. Um, Michael Horton on the issue of justification is one of the best, and he's great on that issue of justification. 
And uh, he wrote a book called Putting Amazing Back into Grace. So Michael Horton's a good one. I've always liked R. Scott Clark. R. Scott Clark has never confused the issue of justification and sanctification. I mean, say whatever you want if you don't like um, what, what you think is radical two-kingdom theology. Although I'm not sure I've really ever seen that from him. Um, I think he's a very good theologian. and I've really appreciated uh, the Heidel blog. And uh, R. Scott Clark is a, a good one. Uh, Michael Horton's a good theologian. I almost feel like I need to walk walk back over my study here. Um, uh, there, there's other ones. There's other good theologians. I just can't think of any that are alive. Who's alive right now? <laughs> Who's good? Um, I, I'll have to get back to you on that. Like, um, I'll have to get back to you. Yeah. All right. Justification. Question seventy of the Larger Catechism. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace, free grace unto sinners. Okay, so first thing you need to know, think about those three things, justification, adoption, and sanctification. Act, act, work. Justification is an act, it's a one-time act, never to be repeated. Adoption is an act, another legal act, never to be repeated. Sanctification is a process. Sanctification is a work. So when I taught the shorter catechism to my older kids, um, what benefits do they that are effectually called partake of in this life? They that are effectually called in this life do partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification, along with the several benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from them. Justification, adoption, and sanctification. Act, act, work. Act, act, work. Justification is an act. God does it once. When a person believes, he justifies them. What, what does that mean? He pardons all their sins and accepts and accounts their persons righteous in his sight. Not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ by God imputed to them and received by faith alone. And Paul spells that out so clearly. Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. Being ju- or For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ's death satisfies divine justice against all of our sins. And Jesus' righteousness meets the requirements, the righteous requirements of God's laws. Such that once a person is united to Christ, they're declared righteous. They're justified. God does that act, can never be undone. That's why Paul says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one can. God justifies them. Who is he that condemns? Nobody. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but I sin so stubbornly. I just, there's, I just have this, uh, this sin has got me in a vice grip. It just won't let me go. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but I sin so stubbornly. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God knows that we're going to struggle with sin so much. And that's why Christ had to do it all. And that's why justification equally frees all believers from the avenging wrath of God perfectly in this life. Because if it didn't do that, if it did depend on how well we're doing in our Christian lives, none of us would make it. 
Always remember, one, another reason that justification is by faith and not by our works and not by any, anything subjective in us, as it says, not for anything wrought in us, nothing the Spirit of God does within us subjectively, or anything done by us, not, not our works either. Because God swore to Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And God passed through those severed halves of those animals in Genesis fifteen seventeen, all by himself. He made a self cursing oath a self-maledictory oath to bring it to pass so how certain is the salvation of the church the only way that the salvation of the church would not happen would be for god to die for god to stop being god for god to be torn in half that's how certain it is and so when god declares someone righteous how dare we think how dare we think that anything we could do would undo that. Okay, let's see who else is here. Um, there's a couple other. William Roder, Joel Beakey. Yeah, I like Joel Beakey. Joel Beakey's a, a very solid Reformed theologian. He's got a great sermon uh, on the sermon audio called Justification by Faith Alone. I highly recommend you go listen to it. It's great stuff. Great stuff. Okay, the dead ones are featured on this channel. What does that mean? <laughs> the dead ones are featured on the channel. Thanks for the clarif clarification, Michael Bratch. Um, you're you're new. Um, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. The dead the dead theologians are are featured on this channel. Yeah, dead dead uh, people that wrote long ago, and um, there there are some good ones. I, I feel bad that I should be able to think of some more that are still alive. I just can't think of any of them are actually still alive. I mean, Sproul was one I, I recommended for years because he's he's very solid. He's very balanced, and he's very. Uh, passionate, never waffled on the gospel or anything like that. Um, I used to recommend, you know, J.I. Packer, even though he kind of waffled, he did waffle on the gospel uh, at the end of his life, sadly. His book, Knowing God, is still um, is still excellent. I mean, I just don't understand what happened to him um, towards the end of his life. But uh, there are some other good ones. I need to um, I need to dig around in my, my library. Um Good theologian. No, I just thought of a few more, but they're all dead. They're all dead people. Uh, so I can't think of any, anyone else right now. Okay. How is justification an act of God's free grace? Okay, good question. Question 71. Although Christ, by his obedience and death, did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice in behalf of them that are justified, yet, inasmuch as God accepteth the satisfaction from a surety, that means a, a legal guarantor, uh, someone who stood legally in the place of someone else, which he might have demanded of them and did provide this surety, Jesus Christ, his only son, imputing his righteousness to them and requiring nothing of them but for their justification but faith, which is also his gift. Their justification is to them of free grace. So justification is an act of God's free grace because... Jesus Christ achieves all of it, and even our faith in him, that itself is a blood-purchased gift only for the elect. Now, I had a friend, um, well, sort, sort of a friend, uh, I, I, really, I really think he's a false teacher now, but he gave me a personalized uh, signed copy of his horrible book called Chosen or Not, um, which is a screed against Calvinism, against Reformed theology. Um, let's see, what was I going to say about him? Um <clears throat> He, uh, what was I going to say about him? Yet, yet, and as much as God, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he says that uh, faith, faith is not the gift of God. And, and, he, and he told me once that the Bible never says that 
predestination or election is unto faith. I'm like, yes, it does. Explicitly it says that. Jesus taught, John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. What does coming to Jesus mean in that context? It means believing in him. To come to Jesus means to believe in him. And all that the Father gave to Christ will come to Christ. Saving faith in Jesus Christ is a blood-purchased gift of Jesus for his elect and no others. No others. He doesn't secure an opportunity for everyone to believe. He secures faith as a gift for his elect people. It is guaranteed by the doctrine of election. It is guaranteed by God's decree of election. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So imputing his righteousness to them, requiring nothing of them for their justification but faith, which also is his gift, their justification is to them a free grace. So since Jesus achieves the the requirement, he takes the penalty, that which unites us to him is also his gift, it's totally free. It's entirely a free grace. We contribute nothing to it. Our faith uh, is not something that we drum up in ourselves. Now, the next question, another brilliant, extremely important um, question. What is justifying faith? And here's one that a lot of people are getting wrong today. Doug Wilson does not understand what justifying faith is. He thinks justifying faith is obedience to God. He thinks justifying faith is works or that our works, works are not the fruit of faith, but that works are what faith is. And of course that is fatally wrong. Listen to what these great theologians said following scores of passages of scripture. What is justifying faith? Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the spirit and word of God, whereby he being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition. He not only assents to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receives and rests upon Christ and his righteousness there and held forth for pardon of sin and for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation. So faith is not works. Faith isn't obedience. Faith isn't faithfulness. Faith in Christ means you're not trusting in anything you do anymore, but in Jesus and nothing else. That's what faith is. Faith is receiving and resting upon Christ and his righteousness. Faith isn't, is not obedience, is not works. Faith simply rests upon the finished work of Christ. Okay, um, and that's what justifying faith is, and that's all that it is. Now, the next question is, it makes it even more clear, just so you can't get this wrong. How does faith justify a sinner in the sight of God? Answer, faith justifies a sinner in the sight of God, not, not because of those other graces which do always accompany it, or of good works that are the fruits of it. What what are good works? Uh, Let me ask a question. Are good works the fruit or the cause of our salvation? Are good works the fruit? Or the cause of our salvation? The answer is fruit, never the cause. They are the fruit and evidence, not the cause. Uh, Doug Wilson was asked that question once. Are good works the fruit or the cause of our salvation? You know what he said? He says, yes. And I say, right out, right out. You can't be a pastor. You can't be a minister. Because nobody knows what you're talking about. And that's just one of the dumbest answers. That's such a meatball question. such a softball question. Are good works the fruit or the cause of our salvation? They are the fruit, never the cause. The fruit, never the cause. Okay. Q. 
Curious Stain says, Apologies, I didn't, apologies, I didn't list the repent and be baptized things to say. Okay, good. good. I, I just want to make sure. I, I didn't think you were. But I just wanted to, to make sure that um, uh, you weren't saying that, but I, I appreciate that very much. Thank you for uh, for doing that. Let me, can I put a little heart on that? Did I do it? Ooh, the, there's new functionality here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love uh, Limited Atonement, too. Cool. Wow, I can put little I can put little emojis on people's comments. That's nice. I think I can. Can I? There's a or me, no. What is this thing loving on? I don't even know. Oh, anyway. All right. <clears throat> so, question seventy four is about adoption. That's a wonderful topic. Maybe we should do a whole program on that. That's such a great, great one. But then, question seventy five. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work. Now, remember what I said about. Um, Justification, adoption, sanctification. Act, act, work. Judicial act, judicial act, progressive work. work. So justification, judicial act, one-time act. Adoption, judicial act, and it's a one-time act. Sanctification, progressive ongoing work. Sanctification is a work of God's grace, whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time through the powerful operation of his Spirit, Applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts, and those graces so stirred up, increased, and strengthened, as that they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. Now, dear ones that are listening, that is going to happen, and that is true in every Christian. It is impossible for you to be a Christian and that not happening in you. Where you are being stirred in your heart to, to be increased and strengthened in grace so that you more and more die unto sin and more and more live unto righteousness. In fact, Paul uh, says in Romans six eleven, you also reckon yourselves, impute yourselves, consider yourselves, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so much for all the theories of side B Christianity. I'm, I'm gay in Christ, or I'm a homosexual in Christ, or I'm a thief in Christ, an adulterer in Christ, an alcoholic in Christ, a porn addict in Christ. No, you reckon yourselves, you adopt the self-conception, dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone needs to make a t-shirt, or tell, tell the guy at Reformed Sage, make a t-shirt that says, I am dead to sin. Because that's what we're commanded to do. We are to adopt that as our self-conception. So whatever your sin issues are, don't let the sins define you. Define yourself the way scripture tells you to. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your bo- in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And then one of my favorite passages on this subject, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, Thessalonica, uh, like so many of those Mediterranean cities that the apostles went and planted churches in and did evangelism in, was a pretty immoral place. And the people there, um, really, they were not able to be with the apostle Paul um, and with his companions for very long. In fact, it looks like maybe three to six Sabbaths, uh, according to Acts chapter 17, where the church in Thessalonica is started, but that's, I think that's why he wrote them two letters. He was very concerned about how they were doing, especially when you consider the circumstances of, uh, regarding why he had to leave. There was riots going on. They were being followed around, and people were being beat up and killed. And I mean, it was a real mess. 
But he tells them in 1 Thessalonians 4, Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. And what he's saying is, you're not going to be sanctified overnight. Sanctification is not like microwave popcorn. It is not instant gratification. You don't follow these five steps and now you're sanctified. You abound more and more. It's not the perfection of your life. It's the direction. What direction are you heading? Hopefully it's towards more and more holiness. So Paul is telling them, I know that you guys are going to struggle. And I know that you have all these sin issues. But you need to abound more and more. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Don't get discouraged when you fail. Brush yourself off. Figure out how it happened. Get rid of those occasions of sin. And then push forward. That's what he's saying there. Let me get back to the uh, confession again. Um, So that was question uh, 75. So sanctification is a work. It's an ongoing progressive work. And we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. And we have the seeds of repentance and the other saving graces. We have a new heart. Uh, We've been adopted into God's family. The, The Holy Spirit indwells us. That's why people don't need to worry. If you preach the freeness of God's grace and it truly is understood and people are born again by God's spirit, he's going to do all this for them. Okay, He's going to change their hearts. He's going to stir up those graces. He's going to give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. He's going to cause them to love the truth and to desire to walk in God's commandments. We should never take the fact that easy believism, the, the no repentance, no lordship version of this is dominant. That should not cause us to find some way to add works to the gospel. Because if we do that, we destroy the gospel. So the last thing I want to just remind you, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul wrote there, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Why, why would he say that? These people, these false teachers were saying, we believe in Jesus. We would never ascribe our salvation to ourselves. But you see, they just added one little thing to faith in Christ, circumcision. And Paul tells them, if you do that, if you think your circumcision is going to help save you, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Because clearly, you don't understand who he is or what he did. Christians trust in Christ alone. They rely upon Jesus and nothing else to save them. And the moment you add works or add anything to your definition of saving faith that's contrary to that, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Christians rely on Christ. They might not be able to define justification in technical terms, but in their heart of hearts, they are resting upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. He says here, Galatians 5.3, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You want one, one step in the direction of law keeping to get into heaven? Then Christ is out of the picture and you get to keep it all by yourself, which of course no one can and you will go to hell. He says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law. You who think you're going to be finally saved by fruit. You are estranged from Christ. Christ will be of no benefit to you. And you're a debtor to keep the whole law. You have fallen from grace. So justification is an act. Uh, Justification is an act of God. It is equal in all. 
It frees us from the avenging wrath of God. It can never be undone. It doesn't grow. It doesn't increase. It doesn't get get bigger or smaller. It doesn't. We don't abound in it. It's not a war. Sanctification is not an act. It's a progressive work, and it is a war. It is a fight. Justification is a legal verdict. It is a change in our status, not a change in us. Sanctification is not a change in our status, but it is a change in us. The subjective making the sinner more holy through all the different things that we go through in God's sanctification program and using the means of grace, the scriptures and the church. And that's why every Christian's got to be part of the church and you need to be there and you need to be there prayed up and on time. And you need to support and encourage your, your pastors and your elders and be thankful if they open the word of God and exposit it to you and teach it to you accurately and faithfully. You should be very, very, very thankful for that. Okay. Okay. Let's see who else is in here. Um, William Roder might introduce myself. I am a Southern California. I'm from Southern California. I've been walking with the Lord for over a year, but discovered your channel six months ago. Well, that's great. Wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah, welcome to the family of God. Um, theologian. James White. Yeah, James White's a good theologian. I've been dismayed that he pals around with Doug Wilson, who's been condemned as a false teacher by seven NAPARC denominations, but uh, they're just Presbyterians. What do they know? Um, woke happened. I've had some dark days recently about my past sins. Can sanctification ever be undone? Mm. I think we can digress some for sure. Um, but yeah, sanctification be, because of its, its nature, it's not a judicial act. Um, uh, we can probably go, go backwards a little bit. Yeah. I think that's probably, probably true. Good, good question. Um, my hope is built on nothing less. Amen. Amen. Even the old Baptist hymnals understood justification, but Doug doesn't. That's right, he sure doesn't. He thinks that he thinks faith in Christ is um, is works, which is really weird. Because how many times does Paul say we're justified by faith apart from works? So if faith is works, then, then Paul's saying you're justified by works apart from works. What? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, but then again, maybe it's just so deep nobody can understand it. It's just so profound that it's almost confusing. Okay, so you fall into sin out of the blue and you sleep with someone that you shouldn't be and you have a heart attack, you're going to heaven? Yes. Yep. If you're a true Christian. Now, if the person's not a Christian, of course they're not going to heaven. But if someone is a true Christian. So, curious stain, when David conspired to have Uriah murdered and was committing adultery, if he had died in that moment, would he have gone to heaven? The answer is yes, of course he would have. And if we hesitate in how we answer that, we don't understand the gospel. We don't understand grace then. We, we can't be afraid uh, of how something might be abused. Paul had that objection thrown at him constantly. You're saying we can live like the devil and still go to heaven. Of course, he wasn't saying that. So don't, don't allow scenarios like that to, to call you off of, of preaching the gospel of free grace. I'm accused um, regularly of you're, you're preaching an Antinobian, um, an Antinobian gospel. Let's see, Josiah A. Hines. So the LGBT progressive Christians are saved? No, they're not Christians. Nope. Uh, works don't save nor make us lose our salvation, right? Correct. Yeah, they, they, they're not, they never were saved. Anyone uh, who, could, who would even identify themselves that way, I would, I would maintain they're not a Christian. And because Christians aren't going to identify themselves that way. Um, they've been freed from sin. They've been uh, freed from slavery to sin. They don't identify themselves as... as covetous or gay or transgender they're not going to do that they're not going to do that um so the lgbt progressive christians are saved no 
because they, they never were Christians to begin with. Uh, there's no way you can lose your salvation. That's right. Yep. Works don't save nor make us lose our salvation. You are correct, sir. Works do not save us, and they cannot uh, cause us to lose our salvation either. And if you think that they do save us, then that's not, you don't understand the gospel. I mean, how many times does Paul say it? We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Not by works, not by works, not by works. And what do so many people teach? We're saved by works. And they claim to believe the Bible, and it's like, no, you're contradicting it. Big time. Big time. Okay, we're at the 55-minute mark, Fifty, almost come, coming on 56 minutes. Uh, so let's see, anyone else in here? Did I miss anybody? Yada, yada, yada. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Wow, almost an hour today. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for watching or for listening. And also, thank you for your emails and stuff. I get emails from people, and they're very encouraging, and I really appreciate that. Uh, ooh, I hope the, the quality is not getting choppy, but... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off now. Love y'all. Thank y'all for watching or listening. This is Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at BridwellHeightsChurch.com, where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at BridwellHeightsChurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.